Welcome to Singled Out, the 10th best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by, fellow human meatbags. This is episode 15, where Andrew and Martin talk to Matt Hart about season 3, and the new Guild Ball boxed set. Martin. Evening. 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 <laughs> Finally made it. It's been a, a long, long walk to get here, but here we are on the internet. Well, all the best journeys take a long time. Is that true? <laughs> no, I just made that up. But it sounded like <laughs> it sounds if you say up, something actually. confidently enough with a slightly prophetic voice, on, uh, you can kind of convince people of a lot of things. Stroking a beard. Yeah, you could counter that with just the M25, really, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Never ends. Literally never ends. <laughs> never ends. <laughs> That's one of my favourite things in... Is it, um, is it in Good Omens? Um, with Terry, there's a Terry oh, Pratchett. The, the, the demonic rune. Yeah, they basically <laughs> said the M25 describes a demonic rune. So there's thousands of people praising Satan every day as they drive around the M25. I just love it. Absolutely love it. It's a damn good book. Um, so we've asked you to come on to talk about some things, and mm. uh, by by sheer the sheer power of timing, it is basically three days after the box set has been reviewed or sort of really, um, mentioned. The kickoff, yes, yes, uh, I believe that our full kind of marketing machine uh, gears into action next week to start, you know, sharing sharing some details of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's very exciting, very exciting product for us. Could you talk about that? The, the sort of path to that game coming out it must have been quite an effort for you, I guess, to release a game like that and, you know, such, um, so quickly, really, for Guildball being around. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that Guildball's a an interesting game um, insofar as the people that it attracts. Uh, it, it it really appeals to 
a wide spectrum of people. You know, we, you know, the obvious kind of gamer pools that we draw from are, you know, War Machine players because they're attracted by, you know, the clean, you know, tournament strength rules, you know, the levels of interaction between the models. You know, you get the board game players, but, you know, so certainly Blood Bowl and, and things like that, Dreadball players who come across because it's a sports game. You get the Malifaux and the Infinity players come across because, you know, it is a skirmish game. You know, it's it's a game that appeals to an awful lot of people. But one of the things that, that does give me a huge amount of pleasure is when we actually pull in people who have never played a game before. Um, or we pull in people who go, oh, yeah, I remember playing Games Workshop games about 20 years ago. And, and they get a demo and next thing you know, they're buying a, you know, a team and, 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 and they're kind of off on their merry way. Um, so that, we're was, really... that was pretty much me uh, <laughs> this time last year, to be honest. I'd, I'd taken you. a 20 year, yeah, 20 year break, uh, came back to gaming just in Nottingham, and then uh, found my way. I think it was Gil, my first Guildball demo was in January, and then two weeks later, I had a full Butcher's team painted. So I was quite, uh, I, was, I was pretty much under your mean model there. That, really. is, that is awesome. <laughs> I mean, because that's, I just get, I just take such a huge amount of pleasure from that because I think, you know, as a company in this industry, we really are, I think, just custodians of, of, you know, of the gamer population for now until new companies will come along and old companies will, 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 will go away. And, and, you know, such is the way of the world. So I think it's important for us as a, com- as a company to contribute to just to the gaming community in a way that, that builds the community and builds, you know, the amount of people playing games. And, and this is why we... We celebrate all games. We, you know, at Steamforge, we we play as many different types of games as we can. It's not just Gilbo all the time. It's yeah, we'll we'll play all sorts of stuff. You know, lots of board games, lots of car games, dice games, obviously lots of miniature games. So, so what sort of board games uh, do you play then, currently? Then what's your sort of your top list? Um, so I'm enjoying uh, Scythe at the moment. Um, is pretty it decent. Beautiful. I've seen a bit. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, my absolute favourite though is Blood Rage. I just um, I can't get enough of Blood Rage. I think it's um, just a, a fascinatingly good game. That's uh, yeah, it's it's really just tickles my like the right spots for me um, in terms of you know the the drafting mechanic to kind of build your strategy for the turn, having to be nimble and, and reactive to what your opponents are doing, trying to work out what strategies they're going for. Um, I just think there's lots and lots of layers to it, um, and yet it's very deceptively simple to play. So it's that's that's a cracking game. Yeah, I was living playing uh, Chaos in the Old World a lot, and uh, someone told me that Blood Rage is kind of similar-ish to that. Right. Um, yeah. Sort of in the sort of um, style of it in some respects. Yeah, it looks really good. That game does. It looks really good. Definitely worth picking up. Um, what else are we playing? Lots of Game of Thrones LCG um, at the moment. Got quite a quite an active scene going on there. We play a lot on you know on Octagon on online as well as sort of face to face. So um, so yeah, you know we like to keep busy. Also helps keeping abreast of how the how you know the games shifting on, games evolving, and everything else really. Um, well, I think it's I think it's an important part of our design process is that I think unless you unless you understand what make what gives you pleasure when you play a game and what makes you you know what? What? What scratches you? You're rich when you when you're doing something. How can you possibly expect to create that feeling? In, you know, for other people. Yeah, for sure. So your um, box game then, obviously, it's got everything in it. Everything in it: tokens, mats, dice, cards, a lot really. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do with um, with the box set, um, in terms of setting out, you know, the high level goals of of the product was. Something that I'm kind of phrasing as a, as the Christmas Day test. Now I think there's like a lot of 
um, really good quality games out there that actually you know have made some really interesting and good business decisions. And, and let's use Age of Sigmar as a as a really relevant example. I think. GW have, have looked at where Warhammer was going, seen a fairly stagnant market, realized that they could, you know, reinvent it and reinvent it in a way that made it much more accessible. You know, they took away the 300 page rule book and put it into a four page document and a bunch of, you know, and a bunch of cards or a bunch of PDFs, however you play it. And I think brilliant, really, really clever, smart move, um, targeting, you know, this younger audience, getting people into gaming. Um, and it's a niche that other major war games companies aren't really focusing on that you know that kind of tween um, sort of age group to try and get them while they're young but then when they kind of messed up is you know in my opinion is the models are just too complicated to put together so you know if i was to buy this for my son for christmas the clippers um, glue files dude you, you wouldn't be playing until like the day after boxing day by the time you've put all the models together and by that point in time, you know, your son's wandered off and gone back to the Xbox. So, you know, what I wanted to do was was get that kind of instant grab feeling that you get when you when you open a board game and you're literally popping the tokens out and while you're sticking the models down on the on the fold out board and, and someone's reading the rule book and before you know it you're up and playing, you know, within a couple of minutes of, of ripping the cellophane off. And there's no reason on, on God's earth why you can't actually adopt that principle for a miniatures game. And so actually so can, go on. Can. No, uh, I was about to say, so is it, is it quick start then, the rules in there as well? Has it um, got sort of different so, levels of... So the way that we've written them is um, there is a quick start version um, and that's not necessarily a stripped down version of the game. What it is, uh, it's written in the tone of voice as if you were being given a demo by one of our, one of our team. So we've obviously done um, hundreds if not thousands of demos over the course of the last year. So, you know... In, internally we've developed a bit of a pattern for it we know that there's key things that we want to demonstrate and we know that there's a, a really logical order to to explain things to players so all we've done is is write that down in a in a fairly you know friendly easily accessible voice um and you sit down you know with you know with your dad or with your mate or you know or even on your own and the rules you know the rule book will kind of explain movement to you and then you know on the on the page will be like a printed out section of a of a play mat that you can stick some models down and actually move them about on the on the play mat in the rule book to see how it all works um you know and you just transition through moving you know to kicking the ball to kicking someone to you know all that good stuff so um it's it's culminates with a um a handheld guide through the first few turns of a full game um and and helps you get past that kind of first or second term paralysis that sometimes new players can experience so again it talks through the logic of you know why why you're going to do x y and z with with honor and and why tapper then is going to do what he does and and it gives you a, a an understanding of of the kind of thought processes behind it okay so basically sort of kind of throws you in after sort of after the sort of melee started basically yeah, pretty much. What we do is we, we kind of gear it up in a way that it gets you to the action and gives you a, an idea of what you're trying, what you know, what each of the teams, you know, if you're the Masons player, you know what you're trying to do with Honor. And if you're the Brewers player, you know what you're trying to do with Tapper. And, you know, you're off and running. And of course, we leave it, you know, at a point in the action where, you know, the player probably wants someone to take their hand off the Syrian wall and let them just play it out and see what happens. So I've seen some photographs. Um, online that um, someone went all Blade Runner and sort of enhanced and span around and 
everything else and zoomed in Great, yeah it's like csi that was it was also i don't know why i'm surprised but it was, it was really fast <laughs> power of the internet power of the internet yeah um so for one thing is it was interesting to see that the rule book has on it season three in big letters yes. yep. so i'm guessing here but does that mean that season three is being launched at SteamyCon? Uh, yes. So um, essentially, you know, as you know, every season we like to um, do a little bit of maintenance on our core game engine, and that stops it getting, you know, uh, too out of kilter and, and and going for long periods of time with with elements that aren't quite as efficient as we might like them to be. Um, and I, you know, I it's a it's a model that we've adopted, and it's a model that we we feel you know, strongly about, you know, in terms of it gives us way more advantages than it does disadvantages. I mean, it does mean, of course, that every year the, the rules do get slightly refreshed, um, but every year the rules should be refreshed but and, and in a good way as opposed to just changing for change's sake. And that's been one of the core mantras that we've we've been following for the last 12 months of development. I mean, the cycle for season two and three has been quite short, but is that a symptom of SteamCon being where it is and guessing in future it'll be every year because SteamCon will be the same sort of time each year? Is that right? Yeah, exactly that, yeah. It yeah. makes, you know, look, we we want to make SteamCon the place to go. So, you know, <laughs> a risk of... Uh, I mean, we, we like to look at who the big players are in, in any particular market and, and, and think about, you know, how we, how we would dearly love to be where they are. So we look at things like BlizzCon and stuff like that and think... God, wouldn't it be amazing if if you know SteamCon could become that that key kind of date that everyone puts in their diary for for you know fans of of Steamforge games um, and and so every step every step takes us a step closer to the to that goal. So you know making sure that we we're on hand you know at in person at at these events to to kind of talk through. You know the the design philosophy, the reason for the changes, what the actual changes are. You know how it's going to make the game better. We think is just going to you know be really conducive to you know getting the message across, making sure the community are happy about it. You know, and also being able to respond to any you know um, concerns or you know um, issues that may or may not come out. So what's, what sort um, of size? Um, what sort of size are the uh, the ones that you're aiming and aspiring to be like? You know, the BlizzCons of the world. How, well, I think capacity? yeah. Well, I mean, look, we can scale to Wembley. whatever. So yeah, let's do yeah. Wembley. <laughs> um, I mean, at the, at the moment we 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 have a very realistic goal. Uh, we're looking for around 200 people for the first year, which we would be over the moon with, and we are well on the way to that. So that's terribly exciting. Um, and then obviously, you know, next year. Look, I think within two or three years, if we're around that four or five hundred people mark, I think that would be absolutely amazing. Um, I really do. Then, really, isn't it? Smogcon size, yeah. I mean, you know, we we know Webby quite well, and and I've been to Smogcon, you know, pretty much every year except the last year, and um, it's uh, it's definitely something that we we would like to draw parallels with in terms of um, you know the growth success of that that particular convention. So, um, season three, what's what's changed in terms of the core rules? Then, can, can you say anything now? Or is that going to be waiting until later on? Uh, it's going to be waiting until later on um, in the main. Um, I know that the marketing guys have got a carefully constructed um, method of telling everyone about some of the key changes. And selfishly, uh, Rich and I are planning a, um, a full in-depth keynote speech that we should be streaming live from SteamCon. And uh, if I splurge too much stuff now, then then we we'll really won't have anything to say. So uh, I need to keep 
keep some of it back. Any consolation, but... no one listens to this. <laughs> Just <a> <laughs> <laughs> The trouble is, it only takes one person to listen to it, and then the whole internet knows about it. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it, look, the, what I can say is, is that the game really looks just like the game always did and the changes that we've made are, are, are significant but certainly not um you know sort of earth-shattering changes of you know it's a completely different game there's just a lot of things that we we try out i'm trying to give you hints and then when the when you see the rules you go oh that's what you're being a tease what you are a little bit <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah half and half but i think look there's there's we have a couple of ways of dipping our toe in to try stuff out, and if we like the look of it and we like how it's perceived by, you know, the wider population, then then it's then easier for us to then transition into it being a core rule. Um, so there's an awful lot of things that we have done over the last couple of years that are slightly more experimental for us to kind of get more information on like, whether this um, is the right like thing to do. Temporary pools of cards, for example. Or um, uh, big league cards, or things that come come in, coming out fairly fast, that sort of thing. Stuff like that, yeah. So yeah, stuff that that is easy for us to move away from. So certainly, you know, certainly a lot of the stuff that we put in the organised play pack, for example, is a real opportunity for us to to you know try something out, see how it feels, you know how it you know how it survives contact with you know the crucible of competition and. Um, uh, and if, if it does and it does what we want it to, then, then we're more confident when we, we can roll it out into the core engine. So the cards then, <laughs> the, 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 the zooming in the cards, um, it appears that you basically, as far as I can tell, ruined my entire guild. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I joke, actually. I, I, I'm, fairly, I'm, fairly, I'm fairly sure we haven't done that, but the internet's full of doom right now. Uh, I'm fairly sure we haven't because I've only seen about a third of the, well, a third of the tops of cards. But obviously, basically, obviously you hate Flint, as far as I can tell. Um. <laughs> it depends so on the, which, it, it does sorry, depend on which side you, go on. sorry sorry Matt go on I was just going to say it, it really depends on uh, which side of the of the bread your butter's on to be honest with you but uh, we, <laughs> we are more than happy to, to kind of chat through um, the philosophy but I don't I genuinely don't even the models that conventionally people would describe as being nerfed and I really don't like using that phrase because it doesn't actually accurately describe the process that we've gone through um but it's it's a handy vernacular to kind of give you know even the models that have been tweaked backwards let's say um i still am looking forward to playing immensely when season three rolls out because i just think they're more interesting now some things like has it been a conscious conscious decision to basically uh, lower the impact of strikers and make their threat range lower um no no no, categorically no. Although I know why you're referring to that. So let, let's let's talk about Flint, okay? As a as a really good example um, of of a a model who can just pretty much score from anywhere on the pitch. Fair um, This Fair is balance. certainly why <laughs> Masons players love him, and and when I play the Masons, it's certainly why I love him to bits. Um, but what you what we were finding with Flint is um, that he actually didn't allow the opponent a huge amount of counterplay. Um, so, you know, for example, if you try and engage him, he just where he goes out of there. Um, he then pops super shot and uh, he still has a ridiculous threat range on the goal, you know. Um, and we found that the threat range was just a little bit 
too far. So he could sit in comparative safety with the ball. And what we were seeing an awful lot of people doing was Flint was the sixth model activation, scoring a goal, um, generally at a point where the Masons would then win the initiative for the next turn, go first, and then probably score another goal. And numerous occasions you would see Masons teams going 8 0 up with the, without the opponent really touching the ball. Yeah. That uh, sounds very familiar. Yeah. yeah. You know, Weekly basis. <laughs> Weekly <it's>, uh, <laughs> and it But it, it's one of those things that's actually fairly easy to kind of set up um, because Flint has that with Supershot up a 10 inch threat on goal. Um, and, and you know, he can where he go, you know, um, four inches. So, uh, you know, and then, and then when they sprint on top of that, he's, you can't kick the ball out further than 10 inches plus a D6. You know, you can't put the ball somewhere where Flint can't get to it and then score again on the next activation. Can you I, know, can, can I do you, a counter argument, which you can, you can shoot down? Um, hmm. So, most, I mean, again, again, I haven't seen the new cards. So, well, apart from a few bits and bobs, so I'm, I'm probably speaking wrong here. But I think what well, I can see, most strikers can do other stuff. Like, for example, um, Brisket, she's a better fighter than Flint is, for example. Um, yep. uh, Vitriol, because you know, has reach, good defences, murder things. Flint's quite low defences, and therefore, I always thought, maybe wrongly, that you know, even though he's generally speaking low defences, he does one thing. Literally one thing. While some strikers can do a bit of both, Does that makes sense. Um, um, it's true, but if you also look, if you take Brisket as an example, um, there is a risk reward attached to her getting in and using dirty knives, which is possibly one of the strongest abilities in terms of influence cost, but you know, great, for yeah. effect, yeah, it's fantastic. But you know, it's a shorter range and certainly puts her within range of being charged. That's true. You know, yeah, that's true. Um, whereas Flint can literally sit back, you know, on your deployment zone. Uh, on your deployment line and score. Yeah, um, yeah, can do that. It, so, <laughs> so it's it's not a case of us wanting to you know um, just make Flint bad. Flint still needs to be Flint. Flint needs to be the main goal scorer. He needs to be the guy that will can where he go. You know, it's very hard to pin him down. You know, he's got the charmed male, so he's he's got a lot of protection against you know pretty much most of the models in the game, or certainly most of the models that are going to come near him. Brisket accepted, of course, but. Um, um, and he still needs to look and feel like Flint. So what we have done with Flint is is increased his raw kick stat, and um, we we took super shot away. And what that means is that he's still getting the same number of dice that he would get when he had super shot up. But it just means his threat range is dialed back by a couple of inches. And we found in playtest that the 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 delta of him having a two inch less threat range actually forced him to be more in the game. And that gave your, you know, the the opponent to the Masons player much more degree of opportunity to counterplay. Now, one of the things that I love about play and counterplay and countering the counterplay is that it creates an endless gameplay cycle where both players are actually benefiting from it. And like, you know, we were chatting about League of Legends earlier. One of the things that I I love about League of Legends is this concept of skill shots, where, you know, as the player trying to land a skill shot, if I land it, I feel amazing. Um, and that feels like gameplay. The gameplay for me is trying to land the skill shot. Dodging it, isn't And for the guy who's trying to avoid being skill shotted, if he dodges it, he feels great. And and so we're having a now we're having a competition. Now we're having you know we're actually having gameplay between us. Can I land my skill shot before you know, or can you dodge it? Um, and there's you know a clear winner or a loser each time, and, and we get to do that over and over again. So you know if we can create situations where 
there is play and counterplay and then counterplay to that counterplay it just goes on and on and i think that's where you discover a really rich depth to to the gameplay when you start losing yourself in those in those particular cycles so how's that that decision um, affected like for example um teams that are more goal heavy like uh, fish for example in what way uh, for example um um you know, flint being um having this ability to get where he wants to go and shoot for miles away um is that a problem you see you in seen with other other teams as well or other players like miss for example um because presumably um there are other models that could do similar things like a more mist being one i guess but miss got a less a lower a lower kick range i guess than, than flint so basically, one of the philosophies that we, you know, the key philosophy that we followed when it's coming to when it came to looking at the season three um, kind of updates, if you like, um, is is one of what's the best way to describe it? It's very hard, right? So I don't. Do you guys play golf at all? Are you aware of too. golf? I'm aware right. of golf. <laughs> so let's breaking golf down into some really simple components there's there's essentially three key skills that you need to be quite good at golf and one is driving the ball one is your approach play so it's your irons um and getting the ball into the green and then once you're actually on the green is your short game you know putting the ball and there's uh, an interesting philosophical um question which is let's assume that you're amazing at driving what what is the skill that you should practice when you're going down the practice range and a lot of people will say, well, I should be practicing the thing I'm weakest at. So so when you kind of go down that rabbit hole, you you kind of say, right, well, let's say you're you're terrible at putting and you're amazing at driving and you're average at uh, using your irons, okay? If you are practicing your putting, your putting will increase. And at the moment, it's below average. It will increase to average, right? At the same time, your driving skill, because you're not practicing, will atrophy. And that will also degrade from above average to towards average and if you follow this through to its logical conclusion at some point in time you go from being someone who's good at driving but a bit weak on putting to being an average player and that actually could be quite aspirational if that's what you wanted to be just just averagely good at everything but for a war game and for a you know a miniatures game like guild ball what you actually don't want is every model to be the same. This is where you end up with a homogenization of, of models in a, in a team. That's where you end up with a homogenization of, you know, between factions. And, and it suddenly becomes the point where you don't actually, it doesn't actually matter which faction you buy. Um, you, you are generally playing just the same models over and over. And I'm taking everything to, to a really logical, extreme conclusion that the most balanced game, the most balanced version of Guild Ball that we could create is where every single model is identical. Now, of course, we don't want that. So instead, going back to the golf analogy, what we're doing is we're saying, well, if you're good at driving, let's make you even better at driving, okay? But to counteract that, we're going to make you even worse at putting. And what you end up with is a much greater degree of polarization for that particular character. So you could now look at three models and say, well, that one is amazing at driving, but he's terrible putting. That was amazing at iron work, but he's also terrible putting, but he's okay at driving. Do you see where I'm going with this? And suddenly I've got a lot more variety in my models and a lot more opportunity for players to look at a model and what he's capable of and what he's not capable of and, and using the model in the, and trying to create the right situation for that model to shine. And that, for me, is where you actually generate a huge amount of, of, of just raw gameplay. Um, you know, it's the classic rock, paper, scissors that everyone seems to, to feel is, is, you know, 
the 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 quintessential you know gameplay and it's not it's it's rock paper scissors is actually quite dull but but knowing when someone can be can look like a rock and trying to force someone to look like a pair of scissors that's actually gameplay not having a rock and he's got scissors that's no fun for anyone Okay, from golf to rock paper scissors in one. There you go. <laughs> one sentence. Okay. It's pretty good. That rock, rock so rock so p. <laughs> rock, yeah, rock paper golf club. It's a new game. <laughs> but yeah, so so the, the, second second um, Steve Walsh game announced there. The whole point of that kind of like mildly rambly sort of odd analogy is is when we when we look at someone like you know um, someone like Flynn and and we. You know, we want to make sure that he still is easily identifiable as Flint. So even though we we have recognised that his driving skill or, or his shooting on goal skill is is important, um, it's his threat range that actually stops him being fun to play against. So can we keep his his ability to shoot on goal whilst slightly reducing you know the distance from which he can do that? It allows us to kind of keep him as a model that's easily recognisable as Flint. You know, um, we've we've made him better at what he actually does by giving him the you know the the four kick stat as opposed to the three. Um, but we've we've not given him the you know we've taken away the his ability to kind of boost his his um, his threat range. And so the net result is probably very similar in terms of you know power because he doesn't actually have to spend the influence on super shot now. Okay, so that actually is quite a differential and I think I, I spoke about this at length with um, with Bill over at Guild Ball tonight um, actually probably this time last year uh, when when we you know we took the momentous result off of Mist and what I was trying to explain to him is that in Guild Ball you know where you're let's make, ma- make, make maths easy if your team has on average 10 influence if you're one influence more efficient um, that's actually a 10% uplift for your team overall that's Certainly not insignificant. Yeah, my argument uh, when, I, when I saw the, saw the debuff to su- the, the loss of super shot this week, I, th- I was thinking if they give him four eight, it's fine, because actually you, you, you're right. Giving him four rather than three is a big difference. <laughs> there you go. It's a huge so difference. It really he's, is. He's, so what we've got now is we've got the, the the best of both worlds. We've got a flint that still can do flint things, and weirdly, super shot was actually a kind of in many situations of just a win more. Um, function, you know, he already had twelve, you know, um, a twelve-inch kind of movement threat plus a, you know, um, an, an eight-inch, you know, so he already had twenty-inch um, in terms of threat range. So generally, you were kind of within that anyway, you know, a lot of the time. So just having the extra two was was almost wasted. But by taking it away, if it does now kind of create that opportunity for his opponents to to at least have a chance to kind of counterplay him. So how about the monkey? You'd, you'd always bonus time that four up to a five as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> always did, yeah. Still misses though. Still yeah, misses. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit more of a YOLO. I'm kind of like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I want the momentum. <laughs> Matt, so... Matt, he'll break your heart. <laughs> <laughs> so many times. I still have him back. <laughs> oh, don't. I have missed many. Oh, I, so I was doing a demo in, um, uh, I was down in CanCon um, earlier this year. And I was doing a demo for this girl. Was, um, she was a girlfriend of, a, of one of our kind of players, and he had managed to persuade her to, to kind of give it a go. And he'd asked me if I minded doing the demo. So, um, it's Guild Ball is an interesting game to demo. It's, it, it demos really, really nicely. Um, but you, you are 
it's it's incredible how much baseline knowledge you expect people to have and when that's absent it's remarkable the gulf of of lack of knowledge so you know generally you you demo into to other gamers you demo into people who have at least played a game you demo into someone who kind of understands the concept of what a mellow zone is for example and when you take all of that stuff away you end up with a very very challenging demo so long story short i'd um i basically demoed um the game to to this girl who had never even rolled a dice touched a model in her entire life but we got to a point we engineered a situation where brisket was through on goal and uh she had i think she had super shot up or some something i, I mean um, but she was rolling five dice at it and i'm like so now all you need is to roll a four you've got five dice i pretty much like your chances and she rolled them and it was like five ones and i'm like yeah, maybe this game's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how can you have ruined it? Like, it literally took me 20 minutes of hard work to get this demo game into this position to create this opportunity. And uh, I thought it was just going to be a spectacular ending. And then it was like, oh, you've missed. Special demo dice for the last <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. One's, yeah, we need dice that One don't six. have ones and twos on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the monkey. Yes, good old marbles. He was Love too Mark. good, I think. Um, tooled up. Well, it's it's interesting. Tool, I mean, tooled up is definitely one of those kind of key abilities that you know you don't have to have access to in your team lineup, but and and it's certainly not a key enough ability, I think, to build a, a team comp around it. But it's one of those things that I think can can amplify a team comp um, and. Yeah, definitely having a mascot with access to it is is huge. You know, it, it did make Marbles one of the, you know, one of the better um, mascots in terms of the utility that he brought to his, brought to his team. It meant that Rekka would probably never get taken, but now it now it's gone. Maybe Marbles won't get taken. It's a weird balance, really. It's hard to know. And again, cards. yeah, no. Look, you've touched on you know the other thing that we wanted to do. So again, nerfs and, and buffs are, are two words that I just don't think are applicable. What we wanted to do with Guild Ball, having seen, you know, season two being played at tournaments and, and casual events around the world and listening to the feedback from people was um, a building perception of some models are are to be strongly considered in your lineup and other models are to be strongly considered to not be in your lineup. And we think that it's a missed opportunity that if you've got a model that is perceived to be or is ever so slightly under the curve, um, that it never gets to see the light of day. And that, that makes me sad in a way because obviously, you know, I work with Doug, the artist, and I work with Russ, you know, the sculptor, to, to kind of bring these models to life. I work with Show into, you know, to breathe actual personality into them. Um, and it makes me very sad to think that, you know, the models just don't even get looked well, at. Me and, and, Ma- me and Martin have got Tower and you've got Meat Hook and you never see him, either one of them. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing is, is it's not even you know kraken's a great example it's not even that they are below the curve again like you know i I find myself having to use you know descriptions that relate to kind of power levels and 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 actually gilball is such a game of of options that power kind of weirdly doesn't matter in a way it's more a case of Gamers are incredibly good at seeking out efficiencies, and one of the key dynamics of Guild Ball is the transition of influence into momentum into into VPs. And what you find is models such as Tower, for example, um, simply don't aren't as efficient 
a transit at the, at the core mechanic transition um and so they're then perceived as being weak they're kind of not like if you look at tower tower's actually pretty decent look at kraken you know i've been playing kraken for the last six months to great success and this is a model that most fishermen when you know players just won't give time a day to you know or he's a he's a momentum vending machine well you know actually yeah he is but but I'm actually happy if you're standing next to crack and getting momentum out, then I'm knocking you down on the one and I'm getting momentum out of your scrawny ass line on the floor. So it kind of, you know, suits me just fine. But so what, what you end up with is, is this kind of thinking about models in terms of making them a viable choice. And this kind of goes back to that, that example of, let's say you've got a model that's too strong and, you know, um, and, you know, the natural inclination is to is to kind of weaken his strength a little bit. But but well, you're, you're kind of blunt in the edge of him. What you want to do is is in, enhance his weakness to the point where, you know, the balance is I really, really want that ability, but he's but I'm really not sure how I can deal with that weakness. Flip it on it. Flip it on its on its head is a much easier you know example is you've got a weak model or, or model that's perceived to be weak, you know, um, Let's let's actually make them stronger at the thing that they're supposed to do in whilst keeping their weakness. And you, again, you're stretching that kind of dynamic of every model to the point where everyone looks at the models and can see, you know, the um, the amazingness that could happen with that model. But they also can see the weakness. And then it's up to them to to kind of situationally play those models, you know, to be to be the most effective that they can be. You know, a good example. Here's a good example. So. We we were experimenting with a model in playtest um, with uh, a model that didn't have a particularly high jog stat, and uh, you know playtest feedback came back and said no one will ever ever pick a model that has a jog stat of two inches. So that two. that was kind of a, let's say yeah <laughs> let's say two right it was a really low but they had other mechanics that allowed them to move around the the book. Who, who was it? Pitch. I'm not telling you. Oh, it's not. Uh, it's not hell yet. No, um, and that's one that's still in playtest. I hasten to add, but um, worth a try. But, yeah, no, I, I don't blame you for trying. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the point of the story is that having someone say, "I would never take this model," I said, "Okay, well, how about if I change the rule to say every time this model makes a two-inch jog, gain four VPs? Would you take him then?" Well, yeah, of course I would. All right, so. Let, we've established that there is a point at which you would take a model, however you know badly, you, however bad you perceive their weakness to be, you would take that model given the right set of circumstances. So it's, it's finding the scales, basically, the right point of the scales where people take it. Regardless. Exactly right, exactly right. So, so in terms of trying to squish everything towards the middle, actually, what I like to do with models is is maintain one point of extreme, and then you balance that that extreme strength or extreme weakness with its counterpoint to find the balance. And then you end up with two, two extremes very, very far apart from each other, but a model that's, that's, that's actually balanced. Um, and that's, that's the most exciting thing about season three is, is across the board models that we've chosen to, to look at. Well, we looked at every model, uh, but the models that we've chosen to, to touch and affect um, have all gone through this process. And then now I feel um, the exact same model, but they are far more playable and far more agreeable for both you and your opponent to play with and against. How many have been hit then? Do you know? I honestly don't know off the top of my head. Um, it's some. 
I, uh, is the is the is is the kind of most accurate answer I, mean, I can give I mean, you. Look, looking at the cards we've, we've seen, we say few. It seems to be well, not not half of them, but certainly maybe a, maybe you know a, th- a third, maybe more than that. <coughs> if the ones we've seen on the on the on the, on the one highest picture. It's, be... it's one of those exercises that if you're going to do, you do it properly. And it did mean that we looked at every single model and we discussed carefully, did this model need to be, um, does this model need to be affected? And that was one of the biggest challenges for us as the design team is it's very easy to argue quite vociferously for, yeah, absolutely, we definitely should change this model. Well, is it broken? And then actually, <laughs> right. But then someone, someone quite rightly would then say, do we actually need to? There's a lot of people playing this model. There's a lot of people who are very happy with it. You know, oh, yeah, it'd be so much better if I had, like, plus one death or... Well, every model would be better with plus one death. But, you know, it'd be, oh, it'd be so much better if this model had, like, a, a dodge on the one instead of on the two. And you're like, well, yeah, but it doesn't need it. Like, you know, and, and it certainly doesn't... Isn't causing any issues. You know, it's not being an auto pick. It's not being an auto kind of drop. So it's actually kind of a good example of where we want a model to be, where... You know, going back to league terms, we want a 50-50 pick or ban rate. You know, we don't want 100% pick or ban. So do you use a lot of sort of, um, do you look at a lot of tournaments and a lot of games and see what's being played around there, basically? Do you sort of look at a lot, a lot, a lot of lineups and... Um... Yeah, one of the reasons why we um, we encourage, or we, we actually enforce uh, the use of tiebreak for sanctioned events, but we encourage people to use tiebreak is uh, we work with Steph um, and get an awful lot of access to the data on the back end. And that helps give us um, a lot more information with which we can we can form theories as to what's happening and uh, and uh, you know understand the game on a mathematical level. I mean, the thing with that is is to always you know never lose sight of the fact that um, that it's very difficult to mathematic mathematically model a game that is so so very situational. But there are trends that we can spot there are win rates that we can keep an eye on there are team lineups that we can kind of see happening over and over and uh you know and where there's smoke there's generally fire and and that's why we've we've built a a design team of of very experienced and talented designers and, and miniatures gamers who are able to kind of see the smoke and perhaps work its way back and understand why things are happening the yeah, uh, the box look, looks looks really good. It looks amazing value, and um, the sculpts look really nice. It's not it's nice it's nice seeing some resculpts in there, um, you know, for, for the masons and stuff. It looks really good, and yep. um, all one piece like like you said. So they've got to be assembled. Well, not assembled at all. Like you get out the box and play with them straight away. You just rip them out of the box and you play with them straight away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, what we wanted to do was make sure that the the box was priced at a very attractive. You know, uh, price point for players looking to to get into the game. Yeah, me and Martin thought uh, be more than that, didn't we? Yeah, What's, we did. What was that? Sorry, both of us when we saw the box set being released, but didn't know the price yet. We were guessing at the price, and we thought it'd be higher. Yeah, it's it's one of those that you know we've we've squeezed an awful lot of value into the box, um, and we've worked very hard. I've just literally come back, as you know, trying to sort of sequence up this conversation. But I've just got back from China, having been out there working with the you know the manufacturers out there um we keep very close ties with with our um production partners over in over in China for products like this um to make sure that we can squeeze as much value in as we can you know i'm exceptionally happy with the with the models um how they've turned out very very happy with those um and i would very, be very happy to to spray them up and paint them up to be honest with you um, i mean look <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, a, a one-piece, um, high-quality PVC model 
is 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 still not going to hold a candle to a to a resin model or or you know um uh or or a kind of first out the mold metal model but it's pretty darn good you know um and certainly the the edges are crisp enough and the details um uh certainly there enough to to be worthwhile painting up and i'm pretty sure you'd be very hard pushed to to tell the difference when playing uh with the models so i'm i'm exceptionally happy and and you guys should know me well enough to know that i i kind of focus an awful lot on the painting and the hobby side of things i find that sure, yeah. quite a rewarding aspect of the hobby and i would i would definitely not be happy to to put my name to a product where you know the the models weren't as good as we could make them uh, there, there was no play cards what, what was in the, the box. um is that sorry. A, there was no play cards in the box is that a cost thing uh, it's, you know simplicity thing or are play cards still being used in season three uh plot cards yeah um it's it's actually more a simplicity thing for yeah. brand new players yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's something that people can transition to. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the process behind picking the, the the two teams to go in the in the starter in the box set? Was it a put it to a vote, or was it um, it was their turn <laughs> to to see something? Or no, it's interesting. I um, uh, I'm I'm old enough and mean enough to to not put things to votes like <laughs> either. Stuff either it, uh, goes through on its own merits or it doesn't. Um, we don't do committee or democracy. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Donald Trump it, ruined his head again, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, I don't know what that says. I don't know what that says about me. I think it's a good thing that, like, I think it's not always my ideas that go through either. It, but it, an idea should go through because it's a good idea, not because of the person who said it or because everyone you know it's the it's the best of a bad bunch of ideas you know if it's if it's not good enough to stand up on its own legs then then it gets killed and we we come up with something else so the the, the selection of teams was was very um it was it was interesting because you know naturally the first port call that we thought about was well butchers and fish would be great you know you've got the the fully aggressive butchery team and you've got the the nimble kind of dexy score lots of goals team that'd be a really nice example of of the game but then you're thinking and, and, and we've got a lot of data to back this up that actually um, across thousands of demos, um, butchers and fish run pretty close to 50-50 in terms of win rate. Um, unfortunately, what you tend to end up with, though, is um, it's, a, it's a feast or famine style win rate. So if, if butchers beat fish, it's generally a spanking. And if fish beat butchers, it's generally a spanking. And that's there's, not, that's there's... not great for demo games. <laughs> and that's not great for demo games because it means that one guy feels amazing, but the opposite is one guy feels terrible. And generally, when two friends are trying a game out, you both kind of hope that the other guy is going to enjoy it as much as you feel you're enjoying it because then you know that you're both going to buy it. it, it yeah, I, yeah, I mean, right. I still yeah, remember, yeah. you know, demoing Malifaux and I'm thinking... I really like this game. I really hope Fred's enjoying it as much as I am because I so want him to say, let's buy some of this because I want to play it. Um, so, you know, we looked at we looked at teams that we feel are classic examples of everything that's good about Gilball. And Gilball has two key routes to victory, smashing someone in the face and scoring goals. And both are equally fun. Um, and, you know, so so the Masons became... Um, a really obvious choice as as a team that yeah, sure, yeah. that is pretty resilient, um, quite quite um, forgiving for the new players. You know the the high armor. They're generally fairly tanky. Um, can take they they can accommodate you know a misplay here or there. You know you've got superior strategy from honor if you do you know misposition someone. You've got a chance of maybe hoiking them back. 
you know they're and they're and they're capable of scoring goals and they're capable of smacking face and you know when we then looked around at, at the rest of the the teams at our disposal we thought that the you know the clear match up to those guys would be another team that's also very forgiving for new players um you know very forgiving for you know misplays and, and making mistakes um and also capable of scoring goals and capable of smacking face as well and, and the brewers became a really logical choice um and uh i don't know i mean how do you guys feel about them do you think they were wise choices yeah bang on i think yeah as i say closest to the i suppose as closest to the middle as you're going to get i suppose you know it's ease to play and variety of games and all that kind of thing plus you know it's two good teams that uh, two friends wouldn't particularly argue over you know you've got those two distinct sort of styles haven't you yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought, and I, I thought that um, fish, fish and Butchers would be too bad in a box set because it would be too swingy. Yeah, yes. if, if one plays a little better than somebody else, they'll just smash face. Um, so it, it makes it makes sense that it's two teams that have... Yeah, because Brewers aren't bad at scoring goals with, with Friday in there and Spigot. Well, you've got Friday and you've got Spigs, yeah. haven't you? And they, like, they, they, yeah, they yeah. can pop up and score goals and, you know, stave lobbing barrels around is quite spectacular. And, you know, honestly, we found, um, we found exactly that, that, um, you know... Games between the Brewers and the Masons, I don't know. I think it ever so slightly favours... Well, it depends who you play, right? I, I think it favours the Masons, but then I'm more of a Masons player than a Brewers player. Stave is bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, From my experience, but um, it's, it's pretty close. And, uh, and people are saying, well, it's a bit mean for the Masons because all of that knockdown and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, two-inch melee zones and, and obviously Stave kind of barreling people around. But I, I, I think it's close, but I think... Games that I've seen played and games that I've played in have have at least had both sides scoring some VPs. Yeah, for sure. so that yeah. that's kind of the mission for me is both sides get to score a goal or or take someone out and then someone ends up winning and that's great because both people feel like they've done something and both people then have the that kind of you know bit between their teeth where it's like oh god I did score a goal but like if I'd managed to do that and that, that I might have got another goal and then and then the game would have been mine um, and that's. That's kind of the feeling you want in someone when they've demoed a game because it means they're already thinking about the next game. And buying the next guild and the, and the next guild and the next guild. Well, <laughs> in resin. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, as I've kind of... I have warned people at shows when they come up and you know you sort of say, hey, do you fancy a demo? And they're like, yeah, sure, why not? And you'd say, I have to warn you, this demo will cost you £100. <laughs> and they kind of look at you and like... You go, well, look, the demo's free, but you are going to buy a team at the end of it. And they're like, we'll see about that. And then 10 minutes later, they're, they're like throwing money at you, going, oh, I really want this team. So it's, I have no problems with people spending money on something that they, <laughs> that they feel they're going to get value out of. And, uh, you know, if that's something that we can supply, it makes, you know, it just makes me happy that I don't feel like people who spend money on Guild teams are, are buying dead products that they're not going to they're never going to get any fun out of so i've got a very uh i'm very happy about it i think uh i'm, I'm actually quite surprised how how many teams people seem to to want to pick up but i think that's the power of you know only needing obviously six models to play eight models for a tournament legal roster actually that's smaller than most units in in other game systems you know that you need three or four of to actually have a have a single game so yeah it's so seductive, you know. it's so seductive because like you know you buy if you're buying like if you play, I, used play, I used to play War Machine for this, and you know you buy an army and it's a lot of money, and buying a new a new army costs a lot of money. But you know buying a new guild, it's only sixty quid for a new guild, isn't it? Exactly. And then oh, I need to buy all the other parts of that, and he's kind of doing that until basically your 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 house is full of them. Yes. Um, yeah. 
thanks for and that. Then we'll, that. <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. I mean, if it's any consolation, I mean, although I, to be fair, I haven't paid for these. Um, I am just surrounded by um, a never-ending supply of half ideas and mini projects I'm working on. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm as I'm as guilty as the rest of us about getting you know having too many models and you know I'm, I'm going through repainting my butchers in a different color scheme just because I want. Them in a home and away kit. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I just rebought the whole Brewers team in, in resin recently. Oh, just, oh, just oh, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll 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 resin have resin resin yeah. ones. That's it. Yeah, that some is lovely ba- some lovely new uh, bases for them as well that I got. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. So, yeah. am I going to assume that um, at SteamCon the new cards will be released as well, presumably online and also to buy um, for them. that? Is the game plan, yes. Um, and what we want to do is um, obviously celebrate the, the newness um, whilst being mindful of a very important event that's happened at SteamCon, which is the discovery of who this year's world champion is going to be. That will obviously be played with the Season 2 models. It would be unfair oh, to... cowardice. <laughs> yeah. Change well, rules, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that'd, how that'd be awful. that would go be... down. <laughs> but I do think... Giving people plenty of opportunity to try out the new models, you know, um, it means that we can run a whole bunch of kind of welcome to season three style events at SteamCon. So, you know, if you go in there and you've you've qualified for the worlds, then great. Get you know, make sure you concentrate on that. That's very important. Um, but if 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 you're not and you go in and you're looking to you know be there at the very cutting edge of of what's happening for Guild Ball, there's loads of opportunity to kind of grab the season three stuff and and just start playing with it. I mean, I'm. I'm furiously painting up a uh, an engineers team that I want to rock that weekend because um, there's uh, there's a couple of models in there that um, I'm particularly excited about. So that's um, a team I want to see in season three. I'm curious. Well, I'm I'm kind of one of those guys that tends to like playing the special snowflake. You know, um, like in League of Legends, I like playing the special snowflake champions, and it makes me sad when the champions that I play creep up the win win rates and suddenly they become popular. Um, and I, I'm the, I was the same. Well, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gaming hipster. It's like, you know, War Machine in Mark II. I, I used to play Minions. Um, oh, God, one of their players. Right, okay, fair enough. One of those guys, yeah. Um, and now now they're apparently they're OP. So I, I used to play both. I had a Rascalist, I had a Carverlist, and I had a... Oh, dude, what was his name? The guy who just shoots everyone um, with the spitters um barnabas list pig pig to the truth true self-loathing minions player the true discerning. true <laughs> the true Ras- discerning. rask was secretly op and, was good and, he was good he was uh and Bar- like barnabas was an easy win if you were playing against someone who really didn't know what they did but yeah. um pop and drop dude the amount of people i used to just kind of hoodwink by throwing a you know a wrestler over um and just wrecking face and they're like can you do that you are yep. yeah stand up yep. um <laughs> it's a, it, it feels a bit cheesy but you know <clears throat> if you're playing in a tournament i guess a winner's a win um and they, they'll never get caught by it again yeah um but yeah so so you know engineers um i mean i like the models and uh you know i'm, I'm kind of enjoying i'm painting mine up um i'm trying to make the wood as light as i possibly can so it's like a really light kind of pine um okay. oak, oak kind of. <laughs> yep. yeah it's like beach it's like it's very yeah hipstery um style uh, modern furniture feeling to them yeah, the um one, the one team i've very very from painting mainly because they all have wood and so therefore i thought they all look pretty similar so yeah different sort of wood things yeah 
they're, they're, I mean, well, I'm really well. enjoying them. I've got, I'm, I'm doing all my, all my Mechanica at the moment, and then I've got uh, Ratchet and Pinvice to do, and that's my, my six. So I'm going to run uh, Pinvice and Ratchet. Um, I'm going to run Mother, uh, Colossus, uh, Velocity, and Hoist. And um, I'm pretty happy that those are going to be nice, kind of tanky, good, good defensive qualities. Colossus is going to be a, you know, a midfield general. Um, and I think, you know, having the two Mechanica up front, running around, causing havoc, scoring goals. Um, I'm, I, dude, I can't wait to play them. Are they changing much? That is a story for another time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, no, no models change much. I mean, I can think on one hand the number of models that you could classify as, as having changed dramatically. Um, most models have, have followed that, that philosophy that I described earlier uh, with some really garbled kind of analogies. But, you know, most of them have just had their strengths enhanced and their weaknesses enhanced. So um, to, to kind of stretch them out a little bit. And engineers are no exception. I think there's a lot of excitement for on, when you did the, uh, the Flock and All podcast and you mentioned Harry. I think right. that's, that's resonated quite a lot because I think most people have got the mini because it's nice, but not really played him. So uh, I think you probably get quite a lot of table time from the sounds of it after yeah, the changes come in. Well, and I think this is the thing is like, uh, I mean, I hate kind of drawing parallels with other game systems because it feels like we're kind of sniping at them. But, um, you know, I think there's an awful lot of positivity to be had when you do release a new version of your game and you've, you know, you have, you know, revisited every single model. Um, I I have less enthusiasm from where for when the the bottom 10 percent have now been made the top 10 percent and the top 10 percent have now been made the bottom 10 percent and you think okay that's a little bit not how i would like it to happen to my favorite game but hey ho um yeah but actually if you can (laughs) if you can end up where 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 the good models are still good and the and the models that were perceived as not good are also as good now what you've got is this seething mass of Oh my god! I've got too many options, you know. And it's, you know, it's like like classic football terms. It's you know, it's a good decision to have to make, you know, you know, having too many midfielders. Well, which one do I pick? You know, which one, which one do I want to play? And if I can start seeing, you know, team comps where it's not the same, you know, the same morticians team over and over and over again, and actually start seeing a nice fifty-fifty split, start seeing, you know, um, casket getting some more face time, start seeing scalpel getting some more face time, start seeing. You know, Vile Swarm coming out, you know, getting Graves back on the field, you know, all those kinds of things would be amazing because I've just described almost an entire team there and they're generally the models that aren't played. You know, there is, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity in Guildboards for an awful lot of diversity in team lineup. Um, and I think we're now getting to the point in the life cycle of the game where there is actually enough depth in, the, in each of the Guild's rosters for us to start seeing some kind of solid polarized gameplay uh, but still within faction um so i'm i'm pretty i'm i actually couldn't be more excited about season three than i am can i ask um, a question about um season three a little bit so maybe, maybe it'd be better talking about season two it depends on how, how you answer it really um so mm. you've said in the past that um you have a long list of guilds in your head for the next x years and obviously yeah. some are more fleshed out than others and you know use, use the sort of um, discord analogy uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so, when you sort of plan out a guild, you know how how do you do it? I mean, presumably when you, when you design the hunters, you had multiple guilds that you were thinking about, and hunters kind of won. 
of choice. Mm. So, you know, what what made them stand out, and how, how do you plan a guild out? You know, what, what, how do you sort of start <laughs> start with designing a guild? Well, it, it's the answer to that is is deceptively simple, um, but obviously requires an awful lot of um, of of good luck and hard work and and you know and inspiration. But generally, what every guild that we consider moving into full development has to have is uh, an identifiable core way of playing guild ball that isn't massively overlapped with another guild um and for us that that is paramount so for every guild that i kind of have on my on my kind of hot list um i have a, a a core idea of of you know the elevator pitch of how this team would play um well, you know, one one example that I always like tend to use, and you've probably heard me use this before, is um, is the Lamplighters Guild, and I love the idea of the Lamplighters Guild being able to position, you know, uh, lamp, you know, sort of lamp posts as as thirty mil bases around the tabletop, and they can either be on or they can be off, and the Lamplighters can interact with the light that's either on or off, and you know, you could have a whole bunch of movement tricks where you know. Um, a lamp lighter can go from a, a lamp that's off to another lamp that's off, but also while the lamp is on, maybe they gain a buff and you know, and they're they're a little bit more resilient or they're a little bit better at doing stuff. And that, and that, you know, in twenty seconds, I've probably now got your brain fizzing with ideas about how that how that team would play, how that's completely different from any other guild that plays guild ball, and and you're probably imagining two or three models that that you think would kind of be kind of exciting to you know, I hope they do that. If we can get to that point with a guild, then then we know we're onto something, and we know that we can then build out a solid eight-man roster to kind of kick things off. We know that we've got enough fertile field in front of us for us to kind of continue to grow that guild beyond the original weight. Um, and sometimes the most obvious candidates that we have that do have a strong idea actually fall at this second fence where we say well what are the expansion points beyond that what what room do we leave ourselves for us to kind of grow into and and sometimes you can have a really strong idea but it can be so so strong and so polarizing that actually it doesn't leave you much space beyond that um for you to kind of grow into and i think at that point we tend to put that that particular guild back onto the shelf and and think about the, the the next one um so you know with the hunters we had you know the core concept was was bringing in this idea of of um traps and and setting you know board control through traps was was essentially the core idea that we had we obviously knew we wanted it to be more of a ranged um uh faction so we wanted to you know see whether we could we could do a ranged gameplay and we certainly knew that we had enough um hit and run style uh, feeling that we wanted to build into them um that would give us enough kind of fertile field to 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 sort of plow at a later stage so the next question is um you know what was the general sort of elevator brief for the farmers then so the farmers elevator brief is um uh is is personified by the uh, special edition tater that we released and um he is effectively both sides of the farmer coin um but what you'll see in in the actual teams in the team itself is this concept of of planting and and harvesting or reaping um as we call it um and so 
the core feeling for farmers will be very much one of um, planting seeds to reap at a later stage for, for a benefit at a later stage, and that can span across turns. So you, like a, like a real farmer, need to kind of think ahead and plan ahead and, and plan your harvests at the, at the right time to, to get the, you know, the maximum benefit out of them. Okay, so, so so Tater really was a good sort of showpiece in terms of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, deliberately so. So, um, you know, he, he kind of gave you a, a view on both sides of, of the coin. Um, obviously, when when he goes back into, like, the traditional farmer's team, he will um, he will settle on one side of the fence or the other. How are they, do, how are they doing in, in playtest? Because I, I assumed originally that <coughs> it would be season three starting at, um, at um, Salute. I guess that's not the case now. So, are they still going to be up for that sort of time of release? Do we know yet, or uh, that's TBD um, uh, and TBA, as far as I know. Um, they are playtesting extremely well. Uh, we are having having done quite a number of guilds now. We you can start seeing the signs where where the fluctuations on models basically the the resonation gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you end up with a model that just doesn't change from you know one playtest to another playtest to another playtest and at that point you know that it's it's kind of locked because that you know there is nothing less left for us to do to it um and we are we are rapidly approaching that point with with a huge number of the of the farmers guild uh, also i think it was so you or jamie perkins i forget now said that season three will have uh for other guilds less of a symmetrical release so like some won't get Yes, you won't you won't get the preset veteran new player mascot captain. Presumably, you'll get a spread or whatever. So, what's kind of when you sort of if you decided to give Guild X a captain rather than a rather than a player or a veteran rather than a captain or whatever, mm. is that is that um, because you see like a hole in their lineup? <coughs> um, is it is it more, is it based around more like a, a, a mechanical thing or a fluff thing or what makes you sort of make that sort of decision? Um. The, the the honest answer is it could be anything. Um, there is no kind of hard and fast sort of process that we follow. So it might be that, you know, Sherwin and I are talking about, you know, a, a cool thing that we'd like to kind of build into the story and we actually need a character to, to do that. So we'll start there. Um, or it may well be that Doug kind of, um, you know, sketches out like a cool idea for a, you know, for a, um, a model that he, he you know, he, he thinks would be cool. Um, and so we go, oh yeah, that looks amazing. So we then start working on that. Or Russ might, you know, see another model from another range and, and start kind of sculpting, you know, be inspired by it and start sculpting something. We will kind of start from there. Or, or we might start from, you know, I might have a, you know, a brain moment, and um, or someone might say, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a an ability that did this, and then build a character around it. So, you know, where where we kind of jump on the roundabout is is kind of organic and kind of random um but once you're on the roundabout we then go through the the cycle um and we go through you know the characterization through the you know which leads into the design which leads into the art which leads into the skull which leads back into the design and we go around and around and this is why i think gilbo is quite a coherent um product insofar as the the visuals truly support the gameplay, which truly supports the fluff, which truly supports the visuals, and round and round you go. You know, it, it is a it's a harmony of of lots of different aspects of of, of who that particular model is. So harmony, um, aha, segue. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> First of all, 
Harmon is awesome. Let's, let's get out of the way. She's great. Um, uh, I agree. Yeah. And I think anyone who... Um, I was playing against uh, I was at the Battle, um, Battle Hammer guys on, um, on Tuesday having a game with them and uh, they were recording it. And there was a bit where I so desperately knew that yeah, I could score... And a goal with harmony and show everyone once and for all how amazing she is but she only had like one health left and she was um, engaged by three models and I just did not think I could survive uh, three parting blows even at death six um, <laughs> if it had been one I would have YOLO'd it and gone for it but um, I'm not uh, you know the, the odds were at least one of them was going to land a single hit and kill her so um, unfortunately I couldn't do it but harmony is just Hands down, amazing. It was I a game when I posted. Uh, if I haven't seen it, I posted an article <laughs> about it on my blog a while ago and put it on Reddit. And it was a game of mine logging in each day to see how many, how many down votes it got, compared to votes and the scores. Mm. But, but, yeah, yeah. but I mean, the reason why I mention her is that, okay, so you talk about why you choose certain characters, but it might be easier to talk about some real examples. So, like, obviously, in Masons, you chose like Veteran, Veteran Harmony, for example, um, right. and Chisel uh, as the two players. Um, so, were, were, uh, were they uh, more of a fluff decision, or what? What made those characters happen? God, that's a long time ago. Do you know? I'm not sure I can <laughs> entirely remember. Um, I was kind of curious, really. Yeah, as, as to what yeah. sort of sparks an idea, really. I can't honestly remember. Oh. I think. Um... Right. So that is a one hour, that's one hour fifty. Yeah, that could that out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nice. Yeah, you got you. You've done me. Good job. Um, no, I don't. Really, any, I, I can barely remember last on... week, let alone last year. <laughs> so so you could use it. Is there any examples of more recent models yeah, that, that you could answer that question with? Design there. Um, <laughs> well, I think you know. Look, I mean, that brisket is is a is a good example of. I think she was the obvious the obvious sort of um, fluff, wasn't she? Really, for her, I think. Fluff-wise, we wanted to kind of start building her up um, in in the team. Um, you know, she needed a, a sense of growing importance and her, you know, maturing as a player. Um, and what we wanted to do from a from a design perspective was, you know, Brisket was, um, you know, partly because she's one of my favourites. You know, was one of those models that just you just don't see a butcher's team without her in. So what we want to do is. Um, create a situation where there's a there's a really strong alternative and you can't have both um and and so that you know vet brisket was was kind of born out of that you know so so vet brisket brings a huge amount of you know as you know like that that's kind of got released in season two it's going to be really interesting to see you know the choices that people make because i think vet brisket brings vast amounts of power to the butchers team uh, especially if she if she can get that early goal is is phenomenal. Um, this is amazing, right? Massive deal. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 for me that I like the idea of that. You know, it is on the face of it potentially you know again a feast or famine. You know, it's a bit like you know Midas getting true rep off in turn one. Um, is is if he does, then then the that's the alchemist in the ascendancy. If he doesn't, then I actually you know fancy my chances against any alchemist team that hasn't got true rep off in turn one. But I like the idea of playing Butchers, having Brisket there as a threat, and my opponent knowing that they don't want Brisket to get that early goal because it will snowball me pretty hard. Um, and I can use that as a, just as a threat rather than an actual. And then, in the, you know, watch my hand while my other hand's doing this kind of thing. So I like that 
that ability to use, you know, that threat as a as a kind of misdirection tool. Modern, hello. Yep. Well, you're the you're the player for the butchers here. You play butchers. What do you think, what do you think about it? Oh, I think um, it's going to be even Stevens for me. I think, as you say, you never yeah never have a team without her in there. Um, and I'm even thinking of trying to dis- <laughs> come up with a, a more even more footbally butchers team than uh, than I currently play. So thinking yep. decimate maybe getting in getting her in there as well, and just see uh, see how that rolls out. Yeah, I mean, I tend to score a lot. Of, uh, when I play in butchers, I'm one of those kind of filthy fillet players. Um, so um, fillet and and brisket and uh, shank, um, minx, and then generally tenderizer and princess. Uh, or actually tenderizer and uh, and truffles, and they tend to kind of you know defend the goal while while the other guys just sort of play up front scoring goals. Um, I had um, I had tenderizer getting stuck in on on Wednesday. It was hilarious because I'd I'd messed it up. So I just thought I'd try and do some new things. Uh, I don't play tenderizer that often, but I just kept sticking four influence on him. And uh, just getting up to all kinds of stuff, and even did the um, uh, what's the Grandpa. the shot where it docks with another oh, one where you, the seismic kick even yeah. even got that off and it worked and it was just hilarious and I was just pushing a corsair team closer and closer to the edge. I still lost, but it was still fun <laughs> while I was doing it. <laughs> this is the thing, like it's, it's you know sort of tenderizer is, is another model that looks amazing, like physically it looks amazing. Um, just is just for some reason isn't as popular a choice. You know, they're yeah, just ground pound is 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 so powerful. It's fantastic. Oh, it's busted because you yeah you like you you just don't even have to roll a hit with it. It just works. No. You know, I think, I think one four doesn't help, is it? One four influence. I think people people look at one influence and really go Ugh, a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. No, if you have your true. captain and you and one of the other players out of position and, you, and you've got nothing to spend the spend the influence on, it, it works out quite well actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I I like him a lot. Um, I like the fact that you know you you can get an awful lot of mileage out of him, you know, without putting any influence on him. But then when you do put influence on him, it's always a nice, it's a sudden surprise for people. That's nice. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, I think some people I've got a lot of faith in in the game coming on forward, and it'll be interesting to see how you know the meta gets shaken up. I think especially now now the the game's getting larger. You know, for the, for a while. All teams looking pretty similar in terms of the right. lineups. You know, yeah. I think um, you know there's always like your your six or your eight. So if we get more models and more models to get rebalanced to get more of a more of a choice, it's only a good thing really. Exactly. Yeah, I don't understand why you know there is even if it is only a, a few people this perceived negativity around you know changes you know more than just one or two, but you know a decent amount of changes. I think it's really exciting. It's doom cycles. It's, it's, it's part of, yeah. of war gaming. I think happens everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. it's also you know to be fair, it's um, it's always disconcerting um, when you don't have all of the information, um, and you know it's human nature to kind of always assume the worst, um, and and you know I, I can understand where people are kind of you know they people invest heavily in in the games that they play. They love you know lots of people love Guild Ball. They you know they love. Um, the world, they love the models, they love the game, yeah, um, and they. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I play it because I enjoy it, not because I have to. Um, but yeah, it's you know, and I, and and what they want to make sure is that we haven't messed it up. I think is probably the reason why they investment, um, isn't it? It's player investment, yeah. isn't it? More than in more than one way, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, definitely. Awesome. Um, I think that's probably a podcast. Anything else about season three you want to say? It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take a stub in the dark at that two-inch uh, jog model? <laughs> is, it a, is it a farmer? Is it the mascot? And is it a sack of spuds? <laughs> now that is something I wish I'd thought of myself. <laughs> See, one hour twenty of podcasting and no spoilers to do with farmers. We've we've failed this podcast. <laughs> I think we've got some, some some sort of media training since the last time we've been on someone's podcast. <laughs> well, <that's> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I've I've I've, gone, I've I've done enough uh, interviews to. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, it's like what you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to kind of just block everything. So if you get asked a question that, you know, you can't answer and we do, you know, have to, it, it's better for everyone if we, if we can follow our marketing plan and make sure that we release information at the times uh, that are sensible and, and you know, and, and are going to resonate better. Um, but you certainly don't want to go onto a podcast and just say, no, I can't answer that. No, I can't answer that. So, um, yeah, you just need to be nimble and understand how, how to have a conversation without necessarily giving away the stuff that you really don't or not to give away if you know what I mean it's getting skills Martin I think go, go to the go to Steam Commons bottle of whiskey <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that always, that's always a, um, a yeah a decent uh, uh, a decent start the key to the lock there we are well um, thanks Matt it's great thank you very much very welcome. Not a problem. We'll uh, um, we'll try and do it again, but not not with as much hassle. He'll, he'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> follow me at singled underscored out GB. Uh, you could catch me on Twitter at WAP Mart. And I won't follow me because I'm boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Cheers, Matt. Cheers.